Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Our series is called Making Heaven More Crowded, and as I said in week one, we really can't make heaven crowded because Jesus said in my Father's house there's plenty of room, so there's room for everybody, but you understand the idea. The idea is getting more people into heaven, and we have the opportunity to be involved in that. So in week one, I shared with you what evangelism is, the distinction between evangelism and proselytizing. Proselytizing is trying to get somebody to join your group. Evangelizing comes from the Greek words good and news. It means good newsing people. And so we're cool with that. We're excited about that. Last week, Stephen talked about some of the challenges that we have in evangelizing and some of the reasons why we don't. And today, I'm going to talk about how we can do it. It's a very practical message. I'm not sure it's a sermon. It's just sort of a a conversation about creative ways to share our faith. But before I get into it today, I think I need to tackle something one more time. And that is, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter enough if you're a Christ follower to even contemplate engaging and sharing your faith? The reason why I say that is statistics show today that a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus believe that sharing our faith is not only, well, I mean, there are people that believe it's a bad thing to do. So I want to go into that for just a few moments and talk about should we share our faith? Well, when we start looking at data from how a lot of people think today, we have a lot of studies that, in fact, a lot of the results have come out this week. A lot of raw data is being mined and being uh, looked at to look at how Christians and how Americans look at life. And one of the terms that's becoming very popular today in regard to how people approach faith is the term unbundling. We get that idea from, of unbundling from, uh, from technology. And I want to just quote a little bit from uh, an article from Leonardo Blair. But here's, here's, here's how he explains how unbundling works in the religious world. He said, think of how music streaming services like Pandora or Spotify unbundle albums. A person can enjoy specific tracks without buying the whole album. In essence, young people with unbundled faith will partake in religion, including practices, beliefs, and communities, look at this language, to the degree that suits them, with no formal or permanent commitment. The study found that many young people who identify with a religion aren't members of any spiritual or religious community, and, heads up again, many were constructing their own religious or spiritual pathway through unbundling. Now, now, hang on to that because we'll come back to it in just a second. Their own religious pathway. Now, the challenge with that is what we read in the scriptures, the word of God, because the scriptures tell us there is a path before each person that seems right. So when you think about the average American in regard to just any contemplation of God, it's like they're picking, well, it's like a salad bar. I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I want a pathway that feels right to me. Proverbs says there is a pathway that seems right, but it ends in death. We need to remember that. But here is what really troubles me when I think about how Americans are approaching faith. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53 in, the verse, in verse 6, we have sin defined for us in these words. All we like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own 
Yet the Lord laid on him the sins or the crookedness of us all. So what is sin? If you had to define sin, how would you define it? Well, probably we would say, well, I think this is a sin and I think that's a sin. Well, what we're talking about is a manifestation of sin. Sin is going our own way. It's developing our own path. That's why Jesus had to come and die. Now, what takes my breath away is that these Americans who are deciding what they believe and say, this feels right to me and that feels right to me. What's terrifying to me is what they think is the plan of salvation is actually the plan of damnation. In other words, what they think is how I'm going to get to heaven is exactly what will send them to hell. Going to hell is because we are going our own way. We're on that particular pathway. So when I read those when I read that study, when I read the data from that study, it, it just terrified me because I thought, if that's how people feel in America today, that what will get them to heaven is what will actually send them to hell, it, it just takes my breath away. So why do I go there in a talk on evangelism? Well, other research that's come out in the last few weeks is revealing what would naturally follow that belief pattern, that unbundling. Because, hang on to this, 70% of, and I'm going to put quotation marks around this, born-again Americans, 70% of born-again Americans say that other religions can lead people to heaven. It's as if they're saying, Jesus is, you know, it's just like the old rock and roll song, Jesus is just all right with me. But... You know, Jesus might not be right for everybody. I mean, maybe Buddha is right for someone. Maybe Muhammad is right for someone else. And I want to quote the survey one more time. The survey also found that among the top reasons given by born-again born Christians for not telling others about faith is the acceptance of pluralism, like there are many ways to get to God. When asked why they don't share their beliefs with others, born-again respondents chose, quote, they can get to heaven through their different religious belief. That was the number one reason. Here's a problem with that. And the problem with that is the words of Jesus, not the words of Mark or the words of some denomination or the words of some wild-eyed prophet, the words of Jesus. The night he was arrested, Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And just in case we missed it, no one can come to the Father except by me. In Acts 4, 12, the Bible says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Here is the thing. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I really accept pluralism. And I would understand that if 70% of born-again Christians, so-called, believe that there are other ways of heaven, to heaven, then it's liable that someone watching this would say, Mark, I believe that. But here is your challenge, if you believe that. What would be the basis? What would be the basis of someone getting into heaven on another belief system. I know what the basis of my faith in Jesus is. God loved me. I'm a sinner. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, took that perfect life, laid it on a Roman cross. The blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for my sin. I know what the basis of, of Jesus' salvation is, that he rose from the grave and proved that he indeed was the son of God and the savior of the world. I understand what that basis is. How would you make the case for the basis of another belief system working. You know, someone will say, well, Mark, you know, you're an old guy and you don't understand that that's not PC in 2021. I know, I know, I know. I understand that. And I feel that. But I have to weigh. I mean, I have to weigh 
PC, word of God, PC, word of God. You know, someone will say, well, Mark, it's just not accepted in, in 2021. I know, but this is not exactly the brightest generation of humans. We can't keep relationships together. We, we can't discipline ourselves, just basic things in life. I mean, it's, this is not the most brilliant generation of humans. But here's the larger question. If I believe that any way is okay as long as a person feels good about it, how am I going to speak to God when I get to heaven? I'm like, well, you see God back in the 2020s, we all kind of unbundled. We did the existential thing. We sort of made it up as we went, and we figured that you would just stamp our parking ticket when we showed up with our particular plan, and we decided people really didn't need your son dying on a cross, and there were other plans that were just as good. I've got enough problems with the life I've lived. I don't think I want to get to heaven, flip God off, and try that. It's why Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. It doesn't mean that it's narrow in the sense that everybody couldn't get in. It's just there's one way and that way is Jesus. It's also why Jesus said a few verses later on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I'll reply, I never knew you. So is it important for us, I think, given the way that people believe today, especially in our nation, I think it's important for us to just drill down and decide what we believe. And what we believe, not on how we feel, but what we, how, what we can make the case for, what we can make a compelling case for. Because at the end of the day, we must understand that when we stand before God, when, when, when the books are open to examine our lives at the judgment, when the books are open... We will not be standing at a PC judgment. We will not be standing in a judgment of some court in the United States or on social media. We will be standing before the God of creation who will hold us accountable. Down even to, as Jesus said, every idle word. I will need a savior at that moment. Well, let's set all that aside for a moment because we're at New Spring and we believe the word of God at New Spring. And, and I, I don't think we're in that mindset of 70% of people who think there are other ways to heaven. But let's just go to this. There's another statistic that I would leave with you, and that statistic is just mind-boggling. It says 95% of Christians in America have never shared their faith. 95%. And when you think about the fact that Jesus, right before he left, left us what we call the Great Commission, when he said, go into the world and tell the good news to everybody. But 95% of those who claim to follow Jesus have never shared their faith. I don't think that's true at New Spring. In fact, I know it's not because you guys are really pretty good at this. In fact, I think of, of all the churches I know, you're the best that I know at sharing your faith. But in, in case there's someone here today that's part of that 95% and you say, Mark, I do follow Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way. There was a moment in my life when I invited Jesus Christ into my life. might have been in this room or North Auditorium or at home or with your mom or dad. There was a moment when you invited Jesus Christ in your life, but you would have to say, I've never yet shared my faith. I don't think it's because of unbundling, and I don't think it's because of pluralism. You know somebody who needs Jesus, but you might not know how to get started. Anyone like that? I mean, there's like, you love somebody very much who needs Jesus. Maybe it's somebody you work with, might be your best friend. It could be a member of your family. 
And you're like, Mark, I very much want to share Jesus, but I just really don't know how to start the conversation. That is what today's message is about. I don't need to use up time saying something this unimportant, but it might resonate with somebody, so let me go ahead. I grew up in church, and in those days, when pastors told us about how to share our faith, it sounded to me like a sales pitch. There was this sort of one-size-fits-all way. It was kind of like, that was back in the day of door-to-door salespeople, and so there was sort of like this door-to-door sales way of presenting Jesus. It's not my personality. I really had a hard time syncing with that. My personality doesn't fit with a sales pitch. But the thing that blessed me, New Spring, is I began to look at the men and women in the Bible who shared their faith, and they didn't use a sales pitch. There were creative ways that synced with their particular personalities. And so for the next few moments, and as I said, it's not a sermon, it's just kind of a a talk, I want to show you three models in the Bible. And hopefully, you'll find your model in one of these, it could be the more you share your faith, you may have all three models. But I want to show you three models. These are taken directly from Scripture, not from some denomination, not from me, directly from Scripture. So let's start with the Philip model. With the Philip model, we'll call it invest and invite. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he began to call 12 individuals who would become the disciples, or 11 of whom would become apostles. So he's just beginning his ministry, and what, well, let's read this. In John 1.43, Jesus went to Galilee. He found Philip. Okay, it's a Philip model. He said to Philip, come follow me. Now, what does Philip do? The first thing he does is he shares the good news about Jesus with another guy who became one of Jesus' followers. Philip went to look for, are we looking for somebody today? He went to look for Nathaniel. And he told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. Now, Philip was an ordinary guy, I think. I think he had ordinary, he's like me or all of us who feel ordinary. Nathaniel was an intellectual. Nathaniel was really, really smart. So now you got a very ordinary guy going to tell a really, really smart analytical guy about Jesus. And he said, we found the guy Moses wrote about the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Look at Nathaniel's response. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who are you worried about sharing your faith with that they're going to ask you a question you can't answer? You know, If God is good, why is there suffering in the world? I mean, you know, those kinds of questions. Look at at Philip's response. Here's the Philip model. Come and see for yourself. Come and see. Now, this is beautiful. Philip doesn't try to change Nathaniel's mind. Nathaniel's got a prejudice against people who come from Nazareth. He doesn't try to change him. He doesn't try to answer all his questions. He can't answer all his questions. He knows Jesus can. And if he can ever get Nathaniel to go to Jesus, he's just trying to make a connection here. And so Nathaniel said, come and see. Well, the reason why I know you guys are really good at sharing your faith is thousands of people, I mean literally thousands of people at New Spring have come to faith because so many of you have employed the Philip model. You just 
I mean, in some cases, I mean, there are stories that I love here at New Spring. I wish I could, I could keep you here for days now sharing stories. But I've actually heard stories of people who hadn't yet really walked across the line to Jesus, but they just knew something was going on here. And even before they accepted Christ, they said to someone, hey, you got to come to my church. And they both accepted Christ on the same day. You guys are great at that. And the stories would last forever. In fact, you may be one of those stories because somebody said, you need to come to my church. The reason why I say that is New Spring is built to help you with this. You know, if you came to New Spring, uh, a lot of you have been here for a while, but if you came to New Spring, maybe you're here for the first time today, and you're like, this is kind of a different kind of church. And you're right. Because years ago, we determined we were going to be the kind of church that built a bridge to people who were spiritually unresolved. In fact, this church is not built to make Christians feel cushy and comfortable, which separates it from about 90% of churches in America. We're intentional about setting a table. When you walked on the campus today, there were guest services people all over this campus. You know, I'll oftentimes get to the campus an hour, hour and a half early, and often when I get here, guest services are already here. And and you see, it takes us 1,000 volunteers to pull off a weekend at New Spring. And you know, so when you come on the campus, we hear people all the time say, I felt love from the moment I walked on campus. And why is that? It's because of guest services. It's because of the men and women who serve this congregation. And, and, and oftentimes I see kids and young people working in guest services. Why? For the very reason I'm talking about. We have traffic control at three intersections. You know, if you leave the campus in the winter and it's 10 degrees outside and the wind is blowing and the sleet is falling, you'll still see some of the finest officers in our city at all three intersections to try to make getting out of this campus easy. We moved in here in 1999. We're working on something that could really be awesome. We're actually working on a west entrance and exit here. So for all of you who get jammed up and you're driving to Wichita when you get through, we're working on it for you. But, but why do we have, why, why do we want to make it as easy to get in and out of this campus as we possibly can? For when you invite someone to be here, kids' world, I don't know how many of you grew up in a church like I did. I grew up in a well-meaning church. But I got to tell you, when I was a 10-year-old boy, I went into a little classroom, a very austere classroom with maybe some like paper pictures tacked up on the wall, metal chairs, where we 10-year-old boys were sitting on metal chairs. And up at the front there was a lectern and a real sweet lady who meant well in cat-eye glasses said to us, and that's because they were popular in the 60s, now boys, set up straight, put your hands in your lap, and no talking. Well, I have ADD. You tell me I have to be still and set up straight like Elvis. I have left the building. Why is it when you walk in kids' kids world, it's a cross between the Bible and Disney world? You know why? It's because you're going to invite kids to be here. And you know what? There are kids that maybe have never experienced God, but we want them to have the time of their lives. And, you know, every once in a while, we'll have people from traditional churches rip us. It's like, oh, you're into entertainment. No, we're into engagement. Talk to one of our kids and see what they're learning. And technology. You know, for those of us who follow Jesus, we don't have to have technology. I mean, we could sit on those metal chairs and listen to the lectern, but 
we do everything we can to be as creative as we possibly can, find way, finding ways of teaching things that, that are attractive. Now, here's the question. Do we do those things for new springers? Yeah, kind of. But it's not the main reason. Why do we do what we do? Why is New Spring, why is, the, why is our DNA, why is our culture what it is? Every week a New Springer is going to invite a friend. Maybe somebody who's never part of a church. Maybe someone who doesn't know God. Maybe someone who had a bad experience in church. Satan will always make sure of that. And you're going to invite a friend for the first time, just like I have this week. And they say, well, well you know, if I go to church, the ceiling's going to fall in on me. But, yeah, I'm going to try to come, and you're going to pray, and you're going to pray something like this. Lord, let it be the best experience of their lives. And God, please help them find a parking place. <laughs> and help them to get there early if they have to get their kids checked in, because when the service says it begins at 9.15, if you're checking in kids, it begins a lot earlier. <laughs> and let them find a seat and help them find the coffee shop. And if they get lost, help them to connect with guest services so that they'll know where to go. And God, let Mark hit it out of the park today. <laughs> there are thousands of stories of life changes that started out just like this. I remember some time back, I was in between services, and a woman approached my security and said, is there any way I can talk to Mark? I was in my office, and she said, I have something I'd like to share with him. And so he came in and found me, he said, Mark, and, do you, and I said, oh, yeah, I want, to, I want to hear this. This wonderful young woman walked into my office, a very successful professional lady, and she had a, a packet with her, and she said, I want to share a story with you. She said her dad had been a very successful businessman. He was a war hero from Vietnam. He was a pilot. Many members of his team were killed. But he was not a Christ follower. And she and her husband had just come to New Spring not that long before. And so he was up in Wichita and she said to him, Dad, I'd love to have you come to my church. We're going to a different church. And he came, and he accepted Christ the first service he was here. He went back home and went back into his very successful career. But unfortunately, he was a young man. He was a little younger than I am. And he got sick, and he died. And so what she was bringing to me was his memorial folder. And telling me a story. And before she left, she reached into the memorial folder and took out a medal that he had from his unit in Vietnam. And she said, I want you to have this. I keep that on my lampstand next to my chair. Because when I'm doing three, four, and I used to do five services, before I walk out here, I put my hand on that medal and I say, today is somebody's day. Today is somebody's day. God is going to work. 
because a new springer said, you got to come to my church. That's the Philip model, invest and invite. And you know what percentage of us Christ followers can do that? 100. You say, well, I'm not good at giving a sales pitch, and I don't know if I, you know what, you can, you can do what Philip said. Just come and see. Come and see. Okay, here's the second model. And this is from the woman who touched Jesus. And this is tell your story. Tell your story. There was a woman in Jesus' day who had a very serious illness. But because of the prejudice that day, of that day, and, and women were not held in the regard they should have been held in, a woman who had a continual bleeding was considered to be unclean. And they were to stay away from crowds because of the idea that somehow they might contaminate others. So the Bible tells us about a woman in the book of Luke. And Luke was a doctor. He writes more about women than anybody, any of the other writers always say, Luke must have been a gynecologist because he's always <laughs> writing about. And for all of you ladies, I mean, I hope you enjoy all four gospels, but you really need to enjoy Luke. So Luke is, Luke is giving us a little story here. And he said this woman had spent all her money on doctors, but got worse. And she was still bleeding, and I'm sure she was pale then probably knew she was dying. But she heard that Jesus was coming to her town. So and even though she wasn't supposed to be in crowds, she decided it was her life. And so she determined that she was going to go through the crowd and try to get as close to Jesus as she could and touch the fringe of his robe. Now, I, I cannot wait to get to heaven to meet this lady because I love, love, love this story. Why did she do that? Why did she believe that? Well, what's the last chapter of your Bible? It's Revelation 22 because you have the New Testament. Last chapter of her Bible, Malachi chapter 4. You know what the end of the book of Malachi says? Last chapter of her Bible? The son of righteousness, that's a word for the Messiah, the term. The son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. That's the English translation. But wings there doesn't mean this. Wings are talking about the fringes of the robe. So the last chapter of her Bible said the Messiah is coming. And when he's coming, he's going to have healing in the fringes of his robe. New Spring, I think it was just a form of speech. You know, it's like saying, this guy's got more brains in his little finger. than Well, you understand he doesn't have any brains in his little finger. You just know it means very, very smart. So I think when Malachi was writing, he was talking about the healing of Jesus. It would be so great that it would even be in the fringes of his robe. But this woman took it literally, and she said, well, if the son of righteousness is going to come and he's got healing in the fringes of his robe, I need healing, so I'm going to touch the fringe of his robe. And she did, and instantly she was healed. <laughs> I always love how Jesus' disciples were trying to educate him. You know, the Bible says they were unlearned and ignorant men. Why are they always trying to straighten Jesus out? Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, what do you mean who touched you? You've got a big crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, not like that. You know, here's the thing. All of us are going to come up close to Jesus today being at New Spring, but somebody's going to touch him in a different way. Somebody's going to touch him in faith. Jesus said, who touched me? Now, here we, here's where we get to the model. You ready for this? When the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. And I love this line. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Let me set my Bible down because you and I need to talk for a minute. 
Put yourself in her place. And think about the fact that the whole crowd heard her explain why. Why did she touch him? She touched him because she was bleeding. And that's a shameful thing in those days. It's kind of like sin is to us. You know, it's the kind of thing that you whisper to somebody that you trust. But now all of a sudden, she's telling the whole crowd about the fact that she was bleeding and she spent all of her money on doctors and instead of getting better, she got worse. So the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Let me ask you a question. Has the whole crowd, for those of you who follow Jesus and who accepted his salvation, has the whole crowd heard you explain what life was like before you met Jesus and what life was like after you met Jesus? You know, there's something about being delivered from your sin that causes you to be open about some of the things that you've done wrong and some of the shameful things that were in your life before and how that you tried all different kinds of things to get better and instead of getting better, you got worse and you wound up spending a lot of precious time and a lot of precious resources and you got worse, but then you met Jesus and your life turned around and you're telling the crowd, this is where I was before I met Jesus. Do you know where I hear this so much? Baptism testimonies. We've heard people tell stories about how they were in a dark place. We've heard people say, I attempted suicide three times. That's the kind of thing you would whisper about. But why are they putting it out there for New Spring and for the whole world to see? Because they're like this woman. The whole crowd is hearing that wonderful man or woman say, this is where I was. But since I met Jesus, my life has changed. Why is this model so effective? I'll tell you in just a second, but let me switch stories. Another story from the life of Jesus. There was a man who was born blind. You know, people could be healed from blindness. Medical help could help someone if they developed blindness. But nobody had ever been healed who was born blind. And one day Jesus and his disciples came across a man who was born blind. I want to tell you right now why this model is so effective before I tell you the rest of his story. People can question your theology, but they can't question your story. All of us will get questions we can't answer, but we can all tell what Jesus has done for us. Now, let me show you how this works. Here's this blind man born blind from birth. He's a beggar. That's the only thing he can do to earn a living. Jesus and the disciples come up. The disciples ask Jesus, did this man sin or was it his parents? Why is he blind? And Jesus said, neither. The glory of God's going to be operative here. Jesus spat on the ground. <laughs> he didn't have to do this, just the way he chose. Spat on the ground, made a little mud, put it on the guy's eyes, told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes. And when he did, he suddenly could see. And that caused a big uproar in the town because a lot of people had seen this guy begging for years. And when they asked him what happened, he said, well, this man Jesus came and he made mud, put it on my eyes, and I could see. And this was in the time right before Jesus was crucified. And the religious elite had a real problem with Jesus. They were looking for some reason to kill him. Now, this is how ticky-tack religion can be. When, when the crowd went and told the Pharisees, this religious elite, about what Jesus did, they said, he violated the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He healed a man. I mean, he spat and made mud. But they're looking. So now 
the religious elite are grilling this poor man who now can see, and they're trying to get him to say, just like in the cancel culture today, they're trying to get him to say, Jesus is a bad man. And finally, they just put him on the spot, and they say, this Jesus is a bad man, and you got to say he's a bad man. Now, look at his testimony, John 9, 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, the man replied, but this I know. I was blind, now I can see. And John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He put that in there, didn't he? I once was blind, but now I see. You know what? You're going to talk to people in this culture today. They're like, well, what about this or what about that? If you can say, I was lost, but now I'm, I'm found. I, I used to be lost, but now I'm on my way to heaven. That's your story. That's your story. Well, I have a few minutes left, so let's give you the third model. We'll call this the Paul model. And this is in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, according to his usual habit. Paul went to the synagogue there during three Sabbaths. He held discussions with the people, quoting and explaining the scriptures. What, what if you were sharing your faith and you wanted to open your Bible and show someone how they could accept Christ? You say, well, Mark, I'm not really sure I'm up to that. Well, let me tell you when I learned to do this. When I was 10 years old, I had a little Sunday night class of boys, and the man who was um, the chairman of our board at our church was our teacher on Sunday night. He was just a work, he was a working man. And he came in and he said one Sunday night, boys, open your Bibles. I'm going to show you the verses to use to show somebody how to be saved. And from the time I was 10 years old until today, I use the same verses all the time. So if you want to know how to open your Bible and show someone how to accept Christ, here we go. This is the Bible giving us the plan of salvation. Let's start with Romans chapter 3 and look at two verses. Starting with verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, no, not one. Well, why do people believe in pluralism? Why do people believe in all kinds of ways of going to heaven? Well, they would say, well, if you are a good person, then whatever you believe, you'll get into heaven. Okay, the problem with that is just spelled out for us in Romans 3.10. There are no good people. We saw it. No one is righteous, not even one. See, the thing about it is, I can make you think I'm a good person if A, you don't know everything I've ever done or thought, and B, if you compare me to most people. If I'm in the upper 50 percentile, you're like, okay, Mark is basically a good person. But we're, we're talking about humans comparing themselves with other humans. But how am I going to compare myself with the God of creation? How do I stack up against the Ten Commandments? I mean, a person could say, well, I've never killed anybody, but Jesus said if you're angry with your brother without a cause, that's on the same paint chip, just a lot of shade. I've never committed adultery, but Jesus said whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart, or I'm sure if he's talking to women, lust in her heart has committed adultery. I mean, how many of us could say I've never broken that commandment? I mean, first of all, we're all dead with the first commandment, that we would love God, and God would be first in our lives. The truth of the matter is there's no one righteous. In order to get into heaven on your own, you would have to be absolutely perfect. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. And I can't spend 30 minutes without doing something wrong or not doing everything right I should do. 
No one is righteous, not even one. The other bracket of this is in verse 23, Romans 3, 23. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So what do Romans 3.10 and 3.23 add up to? We are all sinners, every one of us. We come short. Now, you may be 90% righteous, I may be 10% righteous, but at the end of the day, we all come short. So where does that leave us? We're all sinners. Next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. In other words, even though we were sinners, God loved us. Well, what does that love mean? Let's leave the book of Romans and go to the book of John, most famous words in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who, here's our word, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to the world not to judge the world, which is important because we know what that judgment would result in. We're all sinners and we're not righteous. But the good news is that God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged, hello, for not believing in God's one and only son. So what does that add up to? We're all sinners. God loved us. Jesus came into our world. It adds up to this. Here's the, here's the statement in one sentence. For the wages of sin is death. Wage, that's like a paycheck. You know, you work on a job. You do what the, what the job says. You get a paycheck. Well, the Bible says the paycheck for sin is death. And we're not talking about physical death here. We're talking about eternal separation from God. What Revelation talks about being the second death, which is hell. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, and there it is. If you're sharing your faith with anyone with these scriptures, make sure you point out that the Bible says salvation is a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So many times I've shared this with someone and they will say, it can't be that simple. A gift, I mean, surely you got to earn something. Surely you got to do this or do that or join this church or join this religion. You got to take these classes. Surely it can't be that simple. Here's why. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. That's what God will not accept. He will not accept anybody walking into heaven that says even remotely, I deserve to be here because it's all about his son, Jesus. Let's read it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. Like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So let's go to another verse. How do we get, how does a person actually get in on this gift? Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess, the word confess, homo lego means to say the same thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might or you could start being saved. It says you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart 
that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And I quote this verse almost every service and every weekend at New Spring. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've been sharing that since I was 10 years old. I have reached out and held the hands of people from every walk of life, and we've prayed together. I have held the hands of CEOs of business and prayed to receive Christ with them. I've held the hands, and Lord knows I'm telling the truth, of drug dealers, who I remember witnessing to a young man in the inner city of Houston one day, came out on the porch, his hair matted, pasty-faced, track marks up and down his arm. And I shared the good news of Jesus, and he said, God can't save me. And I said, why? He said, because I killed a man right where you're standing. I said, well, I'll move. <laughs> and no, he said, it was a drug deal that went bad. He said, God can't save me. And I said, my Bible, and I, I was probably, what, 22, 23 years old. I said, my Bible says right here, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I reached out and I held that drug dealer's hands as he prayed to receive Christ, baptized him the next Sunday night. I have knelt on the living room floor with husbands and wives when they both prayed to receive Christ. I've been sharing this good news since I was 10 years old. It is the best news I know to like the Paul model. You open the Bible and you show someone how they can know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, here's the thing. I want to change statistics. I want 100% of us who are new springers to share the good news with somebody. And here's the deal. You can invest and invite. We have the biggest series we've ever had coming up for Christmas. It's called Put Yourself in the Picture. And as I said already, if I was, Jesus was coming on January First, I, this is a series I'd want to preach. Somebody that you love needs to be here every week. You know what? Even if you need to say, hey, I want you to come to here. I want you to come to my church and experience it. I'll take you to lunch when it's over. Invest and invite. Who's heard, who's heard you like the woman in Jesus' story? Who's heard you explain why you touched Jesus and what happened when you did? And I know that the last one might be a little tougher, but... I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing to be able to sit down with someone and open the Bible and show them in the Bible what God promises to do as an absolutely free gift. Let's share our faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Help us to share our faith. Now, Lord, in the next minute, I pray that you will do what you always do at New Spring Church, except more of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stay right where you are. I just got to giving you the good news, the gospel. Somebody is here, somebody is watching, someone's on television watching, and you're like, Mark, I've never completely understood it until now. When you went through those verses, I saw what it is for the first time. And so it could be that today is your day. It's like I held that medal and said, today's somebody's day, and it was you. It was you. And you say, Mark, I want to get in on this. Well, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe? that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he arose from the grave? Do you believe he loves you and wants to save you? Are you willing to trust what Jesus did and not what you do? It's not about do, it's what's it's done. 
And are you willing to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? I'm going to pray a prayer. No, these are not magic words, but if you want to pray it, if you decide you want to say this to God, I'll put a little pause in between each one of the lines so you can think about it and say, and see if you want to say this to God. Here we go. Please pray with me. And those of you who are Christ followers already, pray for those who are most important moment of their lives. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't get into heaven on my own. But your word says you love me. Your word says Jesus died for my sins. Your word says he rose from the grave. Your word says it's a free gift. I receive that gift. I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sin and hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. That you, 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 This is just our way of taking your first steps with you. It's a New Spring Bible. It's a book I wrote that in case you have some questions, and you probably do, it'll answer a lot of questions, a little journal. It's free, free, free. It's, it's as free as salvation. It's not as good as salvation, but it's free. Just as free. Take out your phone. If you have a, a smartphone, just text PRAYED, the word P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. PRAYED to 97,000. You'll see info centers all around the campus. They have this color. They're very obvious. And, and you can, if, if you text PRAYED to 97,000, they'll be ready for you when you get out there. If you don't have your smartphone, just go back and say, I prayed with Mark, and that's all you need to do. Thank you for being here. We'll... See you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.